Welcome to She's Running. This is the podcast dedicated to talking to women who are running for office locally, nationally, and everything in between. I'm Emily Jackson, and today on the pod, I've got my third awesome lady candidate running for delegate in Virginia, Elizabeth Guzman. Virginia has a major primary happening next week on the 13th, and there are so many women running. It is so much fun. I had a whole list of ladies that I could have talked to, but I just didn't have time. So hopefully I'll get to chat with more of them after they get through the primary. Hey, so last week I was kind of a downer. (laughs) Yeah. And then, oh man, I got an email from someone who listens to the pod and I've emailed her a couple times and she said that she likes my sense of humor, which BTW is one of the top three best compliments that I could get. But I was like, am I funny on the podcast? Because I feel like I'm not. I mean, I'm not a comedian, so it's not going to be like joke, 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 joke. But I get a little heavy, don't I? So I'm going to make an effort to be a little lighter sometimes. So today I'm going to talk about movies. No, not the movie, not Wonder Woman, because I haven't seen it yet. Very rarely do I actually go see a movie in the theater. I'm more of a Netflix and my jammies kind of gal. And this weekend, that's exactly what I did. Y'all, I watched eight movies this weekend. It was amazing. I had a serious self-care weekend. Saturday was devoted to comedies, Chinese food, and wine, which is exactly what you want when you're vegging with friends. But Sunday? Sunday was all mine. Hubby had to work that day, and I was free to watch whatever I wanted to. So I picked a theme, movies based on a true story. I love a good theme. And I started with Christine. This is one that Netflix has been recommending to me for a while. And honestly, it was not my jam. I almost turned it off with 20 minutes to go. No joke. Then I IMDb'd it and found out why they made this woman's story into a movie. And I turned it back on. The ending was interesting, but honestly, to me, it was not worth it. I should have just read the wiki article. Anyway, the big short was second, and holy crap, it was like a masterclass in what went wrong with the housing market to make it crash. But it was also very entertaining, which was an interesting combination. Highly recommend. Southside With You was adorable. Fruitvale Station ripped my freaking heart out. But the winner of the bunch was movie number five, Spotlight. I imagine that it is hard to make a movie that is primarily about three people researching a news story. And to make it compelling, that's a feat. There were literally scenes where they were going through books line by line with a ruler. And I would love to know how they pitched this movie. But it was so good. So good. And that was my weekend. I also did like 10 sit-ups and now my non-existent abs hurt. I did nothing productive. And I'm trying not to care about that. Because sometimes you just need to not leave the house all day. Hashtag no shame. All right, hopefully you cannot hear the giant storm we're having here. (laughs) I usually hold myself up in the spare bedroom, but now I'm back here with both of my dogs who are scared of storms. (laughs) Oh, I have a cat, so I I have a special feeling for pets. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right, so before we get started, let's uh, get you officially introduced. Mm -hmm. So who are you and for what are you running? 
Well, my name is Elizabeth Guzman. I'm a candidate for the House of Delegates for the 31st District of the House of Delegates here in Virginia. The 31st District represents 19 precincts in Prince William County and 5 precincts in Fauquier County. Okay, and for those of us who are not in Virginia, where mm -hmm. about is that in the state? Well, it is, we are in Northern Virginia. Okay. In Northern, in the Northern Virginia. It will be about uh, 45 minutes from D.C. Okay. What made you decide to run for the House of Delegates? Well, I am originally from Peru. Mm -hmm. I came to this country looking for better opportunities for my oldest daughter, Pamela, who is 25 today. Oh, well, happy birthday to her. Thank you. <laughs> uh, she, when I came here, I never imagined that educational and professional opportunities will become available to me. I was able to achieve the American dream. I have two master's degrees now, one wow. in public administration from American University and one in social work from the University of Southern California, USC. Mm -hmm. So I was able to achieve the American dream. Right. Uh, nevertheless, when I think about it, I remember that it was not easy. At the beginning, I have to juggle three jobs just to be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment. Wow. And I've always worked full-time while I went to school and raised my family. I'm married now and I have four children. However, you know, my experiences and challenges in this country have assured me that anyone who's willing to sacrifice and work hard, we'll be able to achieve the American dream. So that's why I'm running for office. I'm running for office because I want to keep Virginia, the 31st district, and this country as a place of opportunities where everyone is welcome, regardless of their race, their sexual orientation, their gender, their immigration status. So why right now? Why run right now? Well, um, it took me a while. I've been an active member with the Democratic Party for many years. Mm -hmm. I nobody when I became naturalized because I'm not from here. It was in 2005, and I was I I was living in Prince William County. Prince William County here in the Northern Virginia area. It's the only county in Virginia who implemented at some point 287G which is the law that it's a partnership in between the law enforcement so they could inquire about immigration status to anyone. So if you stop, get a stop for a ticket mm -hmm. by a police officer, they could immediately question your immigration status and run your name through a database mm -hmm. where they could see if you are... Um, Documented or undocumented immigrant. So what happens is that was back in 2007, 2008, that law was implemented in Prince William County. And unfortunately, police officers couldn't tell your immigration status just by looking at your license plates. So there a lot of racial profiling happened here. So for everybody who had a Latino or Hispanic last name, well, number one, the assumption was that the only community that is undocumented was the Latino community, uh -huh. you know? And second of all, since they couldn't uh, tell your immigration status but your, by looking at your license plate, they will have to stop you and find a reason to stop you to, without you doing anything. 
just to inquire about your immigration status. They will ask you, you know, you will ask them why, and they will tell you what are safety measures. Now, that happened in 2008, 2009, and then the governor of Virginia had to get involved on this. So as the chief of police had to stand up against the county chair uh, of this of Prince William County, he's running for governor now and i'm, I'm uh-huh. not gonna say his name because i'm not gonna <laughs> give him free publicity but i hope he loses <laughs> but you know he created a lot of hate in that community uh-huh. right number one because people of color from other communities will have to carry their passport or their green cards to prove that they were uh, documented but second of all he affected he created fear Fear in people who look like me. So a lot of people fled out of my county because they were tired of being, you know, profiled as undocumented. Mm-hmm. A lot of people left their, abandoned their homes and just left the county and moved to other counties. A lot of small businesses went out of businesses because while he would say that undocumented immigrants are um criminals he will never say that immigrants are hardworking people right and most of the time they do jobs that nobody else do so that happened first i didn't became uh politically involved as far as running for office but i was a volunteer for the democratic party because it was not the right time you know i was remarried i had my children I was going to school full time. I was working full time. So it was, uh, I, it was not on my mind. My job in the Democratic Party was as a volunteer to knock on doors, to phone bank, to outreach to the Latinos so they could vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, now, well, number one, during the presidential primary, I supported Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. And, well, after he lost, I supported Hillary Clinton 100% because that's what Democrats, we should do, right? Number one, welcome primaries because it's the most democratic way to elect somebody who's going to represent the community. But number two, one, the candidate that you don't support, if the candidate loses, then you have, that you support, then you have to join the team of the candidate that win. And we all have to work together to get that candidate elected. So, but one thing that I remember, Bernie Sanders said after he considered the nomination, he said that if you want to create impact in your community, you should run for office. So then that took me back to the time of Corey Stewart. And I said, well, if we're never going to step up somebody looking like me, then things are not going to change. He's going to always try to label the Latinos as people who are criminals or undocumented. So I think if I want to make a change in my community, I have to do it. That's to start. Then I said, well, it's a perfect time. Hillary is running for office. She's going to be elected. And she's going to open more doors for more women (laughs) running for office. I never imagined that. I mean, that things are going to be the way they are now. Oh, who did? <laughs> yes. And then uh, the day after the elections, my son comes from school, my nine-year-old, Carlos. And he tells me, Mommy, I think that uh, we need to get out of this country because we fam- I have family in Peru. And we also have family in Canada. My husband's family, most of them immigrated to Canada. So they live there. 
And he said, we either have to go to Peru or Canada. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, well, it's because our president doesn't like people who speak Spanish. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Exactly. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now even now I, I definitely need to stay on this race because it's not about me. It's about the people who I represent. And not only the people who look like me physically, but also this is a nation of immigrants where everybody was welcome. And why do we have to change that? We should be proud of being a welcoming nation and a melting pot. But then I think about those children, like my son, that he was born here. So he's as American as anyone else, you know, and for him to think, to feel that way, it was, it worried me. Because I believe that he's going to grow up thinking that he doesn't belong here. That he's not from here. And that's not right. So I said, no, I have to stay on this race. And I have to work even harder. Because I'm thinking about not only my son of those children. Who will look up to me and say, oh, there is this person of color running for office. So there is opportunities for us as well. You know, we, I, my plan is to bring not only diverse, but also better representation to the Virginia Assembly. It it was just interesting that after I decided to run, I learned that I will be the first Hispanic female in the Virginia Assembly when we represent 8% of the population. Uh, but then at the same time, I also learned that this person that created a lot of hate in my in the county lives in my district. So I will become his delegate. So <laughs> that motivated me too. That fired, <laughs> fired me up even more <laughs> of what I was. So that's what happened. And then his this year, he was trying to institute the 287G again. Now, of course, I didn't. Things are changed. It's 10 years later. Elizabeth is not only 10 years older, but is more mature. It's in a different place. It, I'm in a different, I mean, stage in my life that I'm done with the school. So I have all the energy and time to s stand up and fight back. And I did it in February. He was trying to institute this 287G again. And it was not only me. It was the whole people from different races. All the races were represented to tell him that this type of uh, laws divisive laws are not going to be allowed anymore in our county. So, I mean, that that's why as well. In February, we were able to stop him. Then we did a second protest as well in April because we learned that on his race for governor, he is being a sponsor where one of the owners of, not the owners, but the team who represent, who has a stadium in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. So we are like, if this team is sponsoring this person, enabling him to run for office and telling him that it's okay to create these divisive policies, then we shouldn't support this team either. So we did a protest on April 14 on that stadium. Uh, it's the Potomac Nationals Stadium to let the fans know that this team was sponsoring this person who creates hate in the community. Wow, that's impressive. 
Yeah, and then <laughs> the another part of the district, because remember at the beginning I told you that my district represents two counties. Right. A little bit of one county, of mostly Prince William County where I live, but five precincts on a different county, which is Fauquier County. Well, in Fauquier County, the sheriff was also to imp was about to implement a 287G. So I think I feel like it was my job to go and share my story with other Fauquier residents of what this law could do to the community. But it was nice for me to learn that unanimously the whole community stood up and said, no, this is not going to be allowed in our community. And it was uh, withdrawn. They even started a process to recall the sheriff if he were to approve this law. Wow. So, yeah, so it is... I think that's, those are the most important parts of the difference that you can make on people's life. Yeah. That's so interesting that your county has went through several years ago what a lot of the country is going through now with the sanctuary yes. cities mm -hmm. and all of that. I know I'm in Texas, and so we're having that debate very hotly here. And mm. I think we could all take take a lesson from from Virginia. Yeah, it was. I mean, it didn't. It created a lot of fear. I'm a social worker. Mm -hmm. I work in the public sector. And I can tell you that due to these policies, policies like that, you see less people calling the hotlines to, I mean, call for abuse or domestic violence or sexual abuse because they're afraid that they cannot speak up because they are not documented. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of small businesses go out of businesses because they, they lose their workforce. These people who take these low paying jobs are mostly immigrants and they work really hard. But also they this person never said that the Hispanic community is very family oriented, you know. Mm -hmm. So we like to on Sundays get together, go out and have dinner somewhere or have lunch somewhere. So all of these restaurants also, is, I mean, lose business. But these families don't come into, I mean, to buy food to their places anymore. So it affects everyone. And that's why that's what in Fauquier County, there are a lot of farms. It's an agricultural, mostly agricultural place. So these people who own farms, their farm workers are immigrants. So they are afraid that they will lose their workforce if this, if this law was instituted. So there's a lot of things that people need to realize, you know, and it creates fear in the schools. Even if you're, you look like a Hispanic person and your children go to school and see that other children are crying because their parents are facing deportation, it's a mm -hmm. traumatic experience as well. That happened to my 25-year-old. When she was wow. going to middle school, one day she came crying, and I said, what is going on? What happened in school? And she's like, are you going to be deported? And I'm like, oh. what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, my classmates who look like us, their parents, they told me that, where uh, they're going to be deported. So they look like us. So that means that you too. And I'm like, no. So I had to explain to her the difference in between documented and undocumented. And, and which I think no one wanted to have those type of conversations with their children. You want to teach their children that they are going to grow in a welcoming society where everybody, where diversity should be welcomed and not disrespected. 
But this what happens with this type of loss. Yeah. So other than this, what are some of your other core issues? Well, uh, my core issues are, I always say that my core issues are about life experiences as an immigrant. When I tell you about uh, having three jobs to make ends meet, uh, one of my core issues is to increase the minimum living wage here in Virginia. The minimum living wage currently is $7.25. We live in one of the richest states in the country. So when you have parents, for me, it's a family issue. Well, it's not only the right thing to do to increase the minimum living wage, but also it's a family issue because parents shouldn't be deciding in between food and family. I could right. like, if we increase the minimum living wage, I believe that parents will spend more time with their children, supervising them. And we will prevent that many children, when they uh, get into teenage years, they will stay out of problem because they will have more supervision. And you have parents present in their lives because right now I specifically have two prisons where I have parents that they have two jobs or three jobs to qualify for a mortgage, but their children are growing alone without supervision. And this child is going to be more than likely to get into trouble, drugs, guns, alcohol. They'll be vulnerable if they don't have enough supervision. Other issue that I have is about expanding early childhood education programs in the form of early Head Start and Head Start. I'm a public servant. I've been working in local government in the Northern Virginia area for the past 12 years. Uh, not where I live, but in different uh, in other co neighboring counties. Mm -hmm. So while these neighboring counties are serving 5% of more of the population under five with this type of programs, when you look at my county and the 31st district and both counties, we are only serving 1% of the population of children under five. Wow, really? Yes. So we don't have, there is an inability to create, to create partnerships in between Head Start and Early Head Start are federal programs. So it's a matter of just the local government working with a nonprofit and get that federal money, bring it to our district so we can help more children. I mean, Early Head Start programs where I live are non-existent. And if they are, they are only part-time. So we need, number one, you know, the statistics said that children who have the early childhood experience will be more than likely to graduate from high school, to go to technical school, to go to college. But also will allow moms, you know, that while their children are taking care and provided with quality education because early Head Start and Head Start have federal regulations where the teachers have to have a degree on early childhood education. So it will give my moms a peace of mind that their children are well taken care of so they could they could work or go to school if they like and at some point they will become self-sufficient and they don't have to live off welfare. What has the process of running for office been like for you so far? Well, uh, it was interesting. I didn't know what I was <laughs> signing up for. <laughs> Well, I decided to run for office in October, 
Well, for one of the reasons why what I tell you about the environment that we were living in and I've raised my children, but also, you know, I, I realized that the person that I was running against, the Republican, he was in this office for 16 years. Wow. So, and we had uh, two close races in the 31st, one in 2013, another gubernatorial year like this one, where we lost by 228 votes. And in 2015, we lost by 1,300 votes. That's so, so close, both it, of them. Yeah, both of them were close. So, but I was looking at the numbers, looking at, I mean, for how long they were running. And I realized they were like six months, eight months. So my first thing was like, if I want to challenge this person that is an entrenched Republican for 16 years, I'm going to have to run a long-term campaign. Mm -hmm. So that's why I decided to run in October of 2016. And I've been working, I mean, for the past seven months really hard. The other thing is that you have to be competitive. So we have to have, as a candidate, the ability to fundraise money so you can run competitive campaigns against him. Because the two times he ran, he outraised the Democrat opponents like two to one. So he was able not only to have a stronger direct mail program, he had field prog he had a strong field program. He was able to do TV, radio. So I said, oh no, I want to compete equally. I want to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And if I want to do that, then I had to work hard. So I didn't get the training for, I decided to run in October, but the first training offered by the House Caucus was in December. So after I went to the training, it was like an aha moment, right? Because I, you have to do this. You need to collect money. You need to hire this staff. You need to do this. And I'm like, where are all this money going to come from? So it's like, okay, you're going to make phone calls. You're going to call your personal network to see if they want to give you money. And then after that, you will do your first hire. And then this person is an expert and that person is going to find numbers for you so you can collect money. So it is a lot of work. It is very, uh, but I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> and then once I was in it, I'm like, okay, now I have to. I have to work hard. You know, there's just no way out. I'm in it and I, I'm in it to win it. So I had to work really hard. And you've got a primary coming up, right? Exactly. My primary is in June 13th. And, you know, one of the things that I am focusing on this primary, because first it was the ability to fundraise as much money as we wanted to. But then at the same time, it was the lack of participation of people of color mm -hmm. during off-year elections. When you're talking about one community, in this case, which is the Latino community, there are, in my district, 7,700 Latinos who are registered to vote, from which 1,200, only 1,200, have voted in a democrat in a presidential election whoa so there's a lot of work to be done <laughs> yeah. but when i talk to them because i have been running i volunteered during the presidential election i was working at the polls handing out sample ballots we had a special election here at 
couple of months ago, and I was at the polls as well, introducing myself, talking to voters. And one of the reasons that they said it's number one, that they didn't, they felt that they were neglected because nobody reached out to them. Second of all was the lack of representation. They never seen a person of color running for office. And my county is now a majority minority county. So um, my expect my plan is to get the people of color getting out and vote, not only to win the primary, but also to win the general election. Because remember that we had these two close races. Mm -hmm. So having turning out the people of color vote is going to help us win. Now, my campaign is not going to be there is a difference, right? You, I'm not running a campaign for the people of color. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give them a reason to get out and vote, but my campaign is to represent everyone, all people from different backgrounds and from different races. Because when I talk about the minimum living wage, when I talk early childhood education, when I talk about healthcare, those issues, I mean, are relevant to all races, not only one community. But these people of color are Democrats. We just need to train them to get out and vote. We need to give them a reason to get out and vote so we can uh, win these elections. So is your campaign doing anything special to get people to the polls for primaries? Because like you said, mm -hmm. uh, voter turnout in uh, off-year elections is notoriously low, and it's even lower for primaries. Mm -hmm. Yes, what we did, well, that, those are the advantages to start early. So you have the ability to fundraise more money. So you can hire a person who's going to be your field person, your field director. And we have been doing a lot of organizing. One of the things that I did as soon as I decided to, to run, because in, in the Northern Virginia area, Prince William County and Fauquier County are the less blue counties. Okay. All of other counties closer to D.C. are are bluer, are more Democrat. So I spent time talking to Democrats in other districts, asking them, what do they do? How do Democrats win like 80, 20, 75, 25 against the Republicans? And they told me that they organize every, all year long. They have precinct captains. So I said, what a precinct captain do? So you select a person per precinct, and that person is going to campaign for you all year long. And that's what I did. The first thing I did is to start recruiting among my supporters precinct captains. And these precinct captains have been spreading the word about my progressive message to their neighbors, to the, I mean, to people that they know within their communities. So we have knock on doors for people first to collect signatures. We collected uh, the requirement for signatures was 126 to be on the ballot. We collected almost 500 signatures to be wow. on the ballot. Then the second thing we did after we had the precinct captains, we determined our universe, right? Who people are we gonna reach out to win this primary? So we wanted to definitely get out and get the message to people who have voted in a pres in a primary before. So we have been knocking their doors. We have been in communities three times, not once, two times, three times. So we're going to complete our third pass next week, and we have built up our GOTV universe uh, to get out the vote universe. But also, in addition to these super voters, 
we are also complemented that with Latino voters. We are reaching out to those Latinos who have voted in a presidential election and telling them, you know, there is a candidate, we want to introduce you to the candidate, that I'm going and knocking on doors myself as well. And I, when I go and talk to voters, it's very important for them that a candidate is actually talking to them and introducing themselves, telling them that their priorities matter. And you don't go and tell them, you know, what is that you are going to do. You're going to ask them, why, what do you need me to do for you? Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a difference. And the person who advised me to do that, it's a state senator. His name is Scott Sorobel. So he said, this is, he has been winning uh, for many years. And he said, and I just go and knock on doors and introduce myself. I never said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask them, what do you need me to do as your representative? And I think that's a help that help not only, you know, to connect and engage voters, but at the same time, being able to adjust our priorities after we talk to the voters. What is most important for them? So we have different issues in the campaign, but what are the, what is what is most important for them? And those are going to be our top priorities. Not to bring it down any at all, but have you faced any obstacles in your run so far? Well, uh, you know, when you are a person who didn't run before, mm -hmm. of course, nobody knows you. And people is going to, other Democrats or elected officials, they don't know you. So they will have, uh, they will be hesitant to see what is your ability to be competitive on this race. So you have to prove yourself and you have to prove yourself constantly. So I think that after I presented my first fundraising report for the first quarter this year, and they saw that I outraced my Republican opponent five to one and my Democrat opponent who ran before two to one, they said, oh, she's running a competitive campaign. Mm -hmm. So their mentality has changed. But as a first time candidate, you're going to have to work hard and you're constantly are going to prove yourself. Prove yourself that you have the ability to fundraise money, that you know your issues, and you are ready to work hard to run, I mean, uh, a strong campaign. So if people are listening right now and they're very excited about your campaign, mm -hmm. where can they find you, either online or in person? Sure. So online, we have a web page. And in our webpage is www.elizabethguzman, my name, for virginia.com. In there, you know, they can know about me and they can know about my issues and my campaign. Since we have been endorsed by nationwide organizations like Our Revolution, um, this organization created after Bernie Sanders and the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, they give us access to a bird is what we call the Bernie dialer. So people could help us spread our war. I mean, our progressive message, by making phone calls as well. There are instructions. And if you do Facebook, we have created that event for Facebook pages as well of how you can make phone calls remotely. Mm -hmm. And my Facebook page is Elizabeth Guzman for delegate. 
and you could see how active I am in the community and how hard we are working to take uh, to win this seat and to win the nomination first and then to win in November. We also are doing tweeting, Twitters. So it's Guzman for Virginia. If you are looking for information about my campaign or if they want to write an email, my email address is Elizabeth Guzman for delegate at gmail.com. Perfect. Good luck in these last week before your primary. I'm sure you're going to do amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I have fallen in love with you a little bit during our conversation. You're just so passionate. And Thank you. you could tell that you really care about your county and your state. Thank you. You know what? It was interesting because my daughter, my eight-year-old, which is my youngest yesterday, I was getting ready to go to an event when she came from school. And she said, Mommy, you are going to your next event Yes. And she's like, mommy, you're going to win. And I look at her and I say, why do you say that? Because I don't think that your opponent is working as hard as you. They're always working. You never stop. And even when you get home, you keep working. So I doubt that the, the other person is working as hard as you. So I'm positive that you're going to win. And I'm, she made me cry. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Well, I know that she will remember this forever and how strong you are and how I'm... Thank you. It's just so great. I'm excited for Virginia. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And what I tell people usually is like, this is the beginning. You know, this is just the beginning uh, for me. This is an important uh, time for Democrats that we have to take over offices locally, statewide. And because it has proven, you know, after the next presidential election that we have more Democrats, there are more Democrats in Virginia and we need to uh, win these races. And the only way that we're going to win it is by beyond primaries. Everybody has to work together. That's right. Well, good luck. I'll be Thank watching. You. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Hopefully we'll celebrate together. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. And big thanks to Elizabeth Guzman for chatting with me on very short notice. You can find Elizabeth's campaign at elizabethguzmanforvirginia.com. And that's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-G-U-Z-M-A-N-F-O-R, Virginia. I assume you know how to spell Virginia. <laughs> you can also find her on Facebook at Elizabeth Guzman for Delegate and on Twitter at Guzman for the number four Delegate. Thanks for listening to She's Running. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at She's Running Pod. Rate, review, and subscribe to She's Running on iTunes or maybe Apple Podcasts now. Not sure. I have Android. Then um, if you do that, you should shoot me an email at she's running pod at gmail.com and I will send you a She's Running campaign button. I've got a ton of interviews lined up. Women from New York, Minnesota, California, all over the freaking place. I'm so excited about what's happening at a grassroots level in our country. Things may be real messed up right now, but if we keep at it and support these women who are running for office, things are going to get a whole lot better. And that makes me happy. Okay, this episode is super long and I'm not sure how that happened. Next week, I've got Zofia Rahner, who is running for city council in Phoenix, Arizona. And there's a distinct possibility that I am not pronouncing her last name right. Sorry, Zofia. 
Anyway, don't miss it. She is one smart lady. All right. That's it. Thanks. Talk to you soon.